You are listening to Overtired with Christina Warren and me, Brett Terpstra. How's it going, Christina? It's going pretty good, Brett. It's going pretty good. I'm not going to lie. I am a little bit tired as I'm recording this. What have you been up to? Okay, so here's the thing. It is 8 a.m. when we're recording this, which means I really shouldn't be that tired. But this week, my, uh, what is it, like your circadian rhythm or whatever. Circadian, the, yeah. Yeah, is completely going to be out of whack because um, on Tuesday night, uh, like uh, East Coast Pacific time, whatever, and Wednesday night, East Coast Pacific time, whatever, I am doing live hosting for Microsoft Ignite, which is our big like one of our biggest uh, conferences and similar to what we did with Microsoft build rather than doing it like on, you know, eight hour uh, kind of, you know, cadences like during the day, which is what we do when it's in person, we're doing like a 48 hour live stream. And so we want to be, you know, able to be around for people who are watching and tuning in from other countries and, and have content and, and fresh stuff for them. Um, the thing is, is that what we found with doing Microsoft Build was that we tried to have like some remote hosts doing stuff as well as some people in the studio. And there were just some technical challenges. And so we still have people doing remote interviews and things like that. But there will be rather than just me in the studio at from like midnight to 8 a.m., it's going to be me and somebody else. But it does mean that my call time is 930 PM, and then I think from like 11 until 7 is when I am um, on air, so to speak. So what that means is that I'm going to basically be like sleeping when I would normally be awake. I could and, not do that. Uh, yeah. See, here's the weird thing. I, in a perfect world, that is actually probably my perfect, most productive time would be like 11 PM to 7 AM to be totally candid. but that's not really the thing you can do like in real life. So at least me. So the hard challenge is, is that I've been trying to prepare myself for these late night shifts. Um, and um, so I'm really tired right now. Yeah. So like for me, like one to 3 a.m. can be very productive, but that means I'm sitting at my computer uh, writing stuff to be like on to like to be on a broadcast anytime after like 9 p.m., I would be in bad shape. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, and so the way that I did it last time, and at least I have a co-host this time, which will make it better. So people who are listening, by the way, you can tune in for for night slash day two of me because this will go out on a Wednesday and um, I will be uh, wide awake and on, <laughs> so to speak. Um, since I'll have somebody else, it'll be even easier. Last time, it went pretty well. Um, I don't know. I get a high off of like being on camera on stage so I can fake it. But that said, I won't lie. There is like there does become a point, especially in probably like the 5 a.m., 6 a.m. thing as you're kind of getting close where where it's tiring. Yeah. 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 Wait till you're 42. <laughs> I don't know about you. But I'm feeling 42. See, you should have done that. Like, <laughs> I, I know you were going to have your whole, like, um, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide uh, thing for your birthday. But um, feeling 42 has a nice ring to it as well. Uh, yeah. It's less less my, my, my avenue, though. This is true. 
Yeah. It's less, well, it's Lesser Avenue, except for your Taylor Swift podcast. Right. Yeah, my Taylor Swift podcast. I, 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 why do I always feel the need to apologize for the amount of Taylor Swift we talk about? It, I don't I, know, because I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. It... I think it has to do with the the company I keep. N- none of the people that I talk to on a daily basis have any knowledge or um, fucks to give about Taylor Swift. Which and is fine. Technically, I don't either. I really only do because of you. This is your fault, and I'm okay <laughs> with it. Yeah, no, it's completely my fault. Also, uh... We should, for just a future Taylor Swift episode of the podcast, we should talk about the documentary that came out earlier this year. I didn't uh, watch that. I should have by now. You should. It's fantastic, genuinely. I think you would actually really like it because it is one of those things that does show a different side of her and that does, in some ways, reaffirm all the things we've psychoanalyzed about her over the years. (laughs) Uh (laughs) <laughs> to be totally honest, but also it's a really good documentary just to see her creative process and other stuff. And uh, yeah, it's Re- good. Remind me what it's called. It's called uh, Miss Americana. Um, uh, Taylor Swift or something like that. Right, but it's, it's on it. Netflix. It's really good. Yeah. All right. Um, so I, can we do mental health corner first before I lose let's my nerve? It. Yes, let's let's do this. So. Obviously, this is it's it's my turn in the mental health corner, but I think you'll have input. Um, it usually is. I'm the I'm the truly mentally ill one here. Um, so last time we talked, I had just come off of uh, my bipolar manic phase, and uh, it it had it had been uh, like five day long, uh, kind of sleepless, productive, crazy time, and I was. In between the mania and the depression that always follows it when we talked. And so I'm glad I'm glad we talked when we did, because I always underestimate how bad the depression's gonna be. Like it's and 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 I know that people who suffer like just plain clinical depression deal with it for long periods, and I deal with it for like four or five days. And, and that, and I can, in the middle of it, I can be like three more days and this will be done. And, you know, I can, I can not focus on these thoughts, but I can't get anything done during that period. I can't write. I can't podcast. I can't do freelance work. I can't work on my apps. I can't do marketing. Like it's just like five, three, three to five lost days for me. Um, and it's really hard to. Like, I talk about the manic phase occasionally. I don't talk about bipolar a lot, but it's way easier to talk about the mania because that's, uh, I I guess, because being manic makes me want to talk. It's really easy to just explain what's going on. Here's, Here's where I'm at. Depression makes me think that nobody cares and who would want to hear me? I don't matter. So I don't talk about it. And I feel like, that's the case for millions of depressed people who just don't think if millions of people don't talk about it, then no one feels like they can talk about it. And everyone assumes that nobody cares. So I figured yep. 
I would do my best to try to at least acknowledge that this happened and that this happens to me and hopefully give other people uh, a license to uh, explain where they're at to others. Yeah, I think that's really brave of you and really awesome that you're willing to do that because you're right. It is a really hard thing to talk about. And I don't know about you, but I know with me and my depression and I have major depression. And so when I go through depressive episodes, they are long and they can be incredibly prolonged. And sometimes you do have I do have periods where. It'll be shorter and, um, you know, I, I, I can kind of get through it, but usually like, I mean, they could be really long periods of time. And I've actually kind of been in one for for a little bit. But this is when, you know, then I like. I have to like find like, okay, how do I need to adjust my medicine or whatever? Right. But the weird thing about it is, is that when you're in it, at least for me, when I'm in it, you have that thing where nobody wants to hear about this and it becomes kind of all consuming. And then when you're out of it, it's hard to remember just how bad it is and how deep it is. hundred percent. Like I can, I can always recall what I felt like during the manic, even even if I can't remember everything I did, sure, I can recall what it felt like, and I can never recall what the depression feels like, and it it creeps up on me. I with the manic phase, I know like the instant it starts, I recognize it. I'm like, yeah. okay, I'm manic. Um, well, because you got to hide to a certain extent, right? right? Like, 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 like it's heightened. Yeah. Um, not, not not to say that that they're that that's all that it is, but it's a heightened state, and so absolutely. I think that that's something that's more a I think it's easier for people to see to be totally honest yeah and b you have a memory of that right. whereas that the darkness it, it it is it's hard to remember and to recall what it's like I mean I used to make a point and and I don't do this anymore but um I have writings and stuff from when I was really 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 depressed like when I was a teenager yeah. and and even some in my 20s and that's probably the best thing that I can ever like go back and look at and like those are very private writings things that I would never share but those are things that uh like I can go back and like that's probably the closest I can get to remembering what it's like yeah is when I'm is when I can you know see those things but the 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 challenge with depression too is from a creativity standpoint as you said and it's not even just creativity it's productivity in general but I would say that for me the creativity is the the hardest part there is this weird thing, at least for me, where at the very kind of beginning with like the tinge of, you know, just like like sadness and just the the, the darkness that I can be very creative and write and, and have like very good art come out of it. But the worse it gets, the less that is able to exist, period. Right. And and then the other thing, too, is, as you say, like it it makes getting out of bed almost impossible makes mm-hmm. doing anything impossible yeah. um you know like i i i've talked about this publicly many times but i missed most of the second semester of my um sophomore year of high school because my depression was so bad that i couldn't get out of bed and you know this is 1999 when um obviously there was less of a conversation around mental health and less of an understanding about 
the impact that that mental health could have on people. And some of my teachers were understanding. Many of them were not. I had this one asshole who failed me. I I, um, I failed. The only class I've ever failed in my life was uh, gifted economics. And I, uh, I retook the class and it replaced my F with an A or whatever. So, you know, it didn't end up hurting me yeah. on my, you know, college stuff, but like it, like he, he fucking failed me because I missed so many days of school, even though like the school understood why I was not there and he didn't care. He didn't give a shit. Um, even though I, I was still doing well, um, enough, you know, on, on, I wasn't, fa- I wasn't saying I'm doing a work, but I was. I was at least passing, you know, like the, yeah. the, the, the like the tests. He didn't give a shit. Um, and you know, when I missed a lot of school, I, I wound up dropping the second semester of chemistry and taking the second semester in summer school, just so um, when I was in school, um, you know, I, I couldn't do a whole day. And you know, the school they like thought that I was just like being like you know precious, being like whatever. And it's like no, I can't get out of bed and we were going through these medication um changes and you know i i was also going through a lot of hormonal changes and so that was just kind of a perfect storm of terribleness and and but that my dad didn't really believe that depression was a thing until he saw that i couldn't physically get out of bed yeah and and that's the thing i think that so many people don't realize that it's like you know, as an adult, I don't have that luxury, but uh, there are certainly times when I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to perform to my ability at work or in my personal life or in anything else. And like, you know, when you go through this, like, yeah, you can't do your freelance work and you can't do the stuff that you need to do. And and it's it's not a choice. It's like a your brain is not letting you do it. Yeah. So after my last post, um on the bipolar stuff, I started talking to this guy on Twitter. Um, we're DMing and he has bipolar and he runs companies with hundreds of employees. And as a result, uh, w- w- we were talking about how it's still really difficult to, to talk about, but, uh, but he provides his employees with full mental health coverage and is very empathetic when they have issues like this. And like you describing your teacher, I, my first thought is, well, yeah, you, you miss class. What's a teacher supposed to do? But if, if these conversations were more um, frequent and, and acceptable, if people couldn't just shrug off the idea of depression just because they don't have it, and and it became more understood, then yeah, it would be valid to say, I didn't skip class, I had depression. Right, right. And I mean, I think the thing is too, is it's like, you know, you're not looking for whether it's class or work or whatever. It's like, I'm not looking for a pass and, and it's not a vacation. It's like, I still <laughs> yeah. get whatever I'm wanting to do done. Like in this case, I was still taking the tests. Right. Yeah. Like it was just, it, you know, it was a matter of, of some of the other stuff and he just didn't care. It was like, oh, well, you did, you're, you're not in class and, and participation is going to be a big part of this grade. And I don't care if, you know, you pass the, the, the final or, or the tests or not, you know, like I'm going to fail you because I don't care. Yeah. OK, fine. Um, fuck you, uh, Dr. O'Neill um, and your stupid Ph.D., 
and your stupid like uh, libertarian like John Stossel like right wing you know like politic bullshit, um, and 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 your you know your Neil Bortz talking points. Uh, fuck you. Twenty years later, I'm still mad at you, and um, I kind of hope you're dead. To be totally honest, wow. Kind of hope honestly. Well, I mean, he would. He's in the seventies now, and so I'm kind of hoping the dude is dead. To be totally candid, uh, like wouldn't wouldn't make me sad in the slightest. Um, so fuck that guy. But also, I think that's awesome that the the, the person you're redeeming with has an understanding about that because that's the thing. It's like, and I'm not even saying that there wouldn't be some circumstances where it's like, okay, if you have to take a leave of absence or you have to, you know you're not going to get your your bonus or you're not going to get some of the other things, you know, but like the fact that we have, I don't know, it's weird to me. Like I, I, I understand the big places, big companies, like you can take disability and you can take, you know, um, there are, are opportunities for people to take, you know, time off for other sorts of stuff. And like uh, my company has some pretty good resources in that regard, but it does still seem odd to me in some senses that, and, and in no way I'm saying that these should be equivalent, but it just does show like the things that we value and the things that we don't as a society. Because, you know, uh, maternity, paternity leave, okay, you get 20 weeks off. And if you need additional time off, you can also take disability and get, you know, maybe not full pay, but you can get, you know, a certain amount of, of pay and still get your full benefits or whatever. Um, and, and I think that's awesome. And I think that that's really, really important. You don't have those same benefits extended to if you're having to be in a caretaker role, even though that I would argue is very much like symmetrical to, you know, uh, having a child. But you also don't have those opportunities. And I'm not saying that it like, like you could put a cap on it, but you also don't have those opportunities to be like, OK, you know, if you have a mental health crisis, you know, there's this option. Right. Yeah. Like it, they, they have it for other things. But if you get, and it's not even just mental health. Right. It's also things like cancer. It's it, it's it's other sorts of any sort of kind of like other physical or, or, or biological kind of component. Like it's the, the way, at least in the United States, that we treat that is very different than how we do things like, you know, pregnancy. And uh, that's uh, that's weird to me. Yeah. Well, I've had to like. For me, uh, especially in my like twenties, I I had a really hard time working office jobs just because I was gonna miss, you know, a, a week here and there, and it couldn't be helped. Right. But it was really hard to explain, and it's why I started. Uh, it's why I started working remotely, is so that. When I was having, I mean, the mania is fine. Employers love it. I get so much shit done. But then I would disappear and just be either absent or far less communicative. And with right. remote work, I could fake it. I could exactly. I could be there. And my, my adium would ding. I could say, yep, I'm working on it, even if I wasn't. But I could pretend to be present. Um from from my couch uh and that worked well for me and i did that for 15 years before i just decided to be independent and not uh not have to tell anybody what was going on 
Right. No, totally. I mean, I think that's maybe the only upside right now of these kind of current times is that a lot of people are working. Everybody's working from home and uh, a, you know, a, everybody's working from home. So you kind of have the ability to fake it as you say. And B, I think the one good thing about kind of this terrible world situation that we're in is that not just employers, but I think people in general are having to become more understanding of what situational depression is like. You know, like, which is obviously different than clinical depression, but, but as like a society, I think that we're all kind of in a situational depression and, uh, when everybody kind of goes through it and and kind of experiences it, that offers more empathy and more understanding for, okay, not everybody's going to be on their A game right now and that's okay. And we can get through. Yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, I've definitely, there have been periods, you know, when I went off my meds and when I did some other stupid stuff, like, which we've talked about on this podcast, um, where I was definitely going through some depressive, you know, episodes and, and I wouldn't say like a full blown, like, like terrible, like all encompassing depression because I've only had a few of those. Um, like for me, they're, they, they are in, they're like, I guess in, in, in state, not in stages, but like there, there are levels of, of how bad it is. Oh, for sure. And um, the the ones like the like the one that I went through when I was 16 was one of the worst. And then I also went and I had a couple when I was in um, college, which were really bad and same sort of thing, like cannot physically get out of bed, can't do that. And I haven't had one of those in, in many, many, many years, but I've certainly had periods of depression where I haven't had the ability to not be able to go in and not be able to work. But my work has not been good and it hasn't been like, you know, like what I would want it to be. And, you know, I remember telling uh, a manager that and his response being, well, we all have problems. Right. And this is when, this is when I'm like, you know, going through coming off of, of, of being on medication and going through withdrawal and then having other stuff. Oh, we all have problems. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, I see where you say it. And then, you know, I don't have, didn't have the ability then, you know, to just be like, okay, well, I can, I can quit this job and, and find another one. Cause like journalism jobs are, you know, not easy to come by anyway. And, uh, yeah, real shitty, real shitty thing. Uh, but you know, it was like, all right, I'm going to have to fake it and or not fake it, but do as much as I can do. The problem is, and I ran into this a ton as a kid, I hid my depression so well for so long that what would happen is that it would then I would like at home or whatever, I would have like outbursts of, of, you know, of emotion, of anger, of, you know, just whatever, like bottling it all up because I would fake it for so long. And I would have to put on this facade of like being the perfect student and being like the, you know, everything is okay. And then, you know, at a certain point, like you can't keep that bottled up anymore and it just comes out right and um and that's really not great and and that has become something that i think that's the weird thing people don't understand about depression a lot of times i don't know if if this has been your experience but i've always described like you have to be a really good actor because there's this weird thing with depression where like you don't want anybody to know you're depressed right it's it's this combination of you don't think people will understand or or will care and this shame feeling that you get yes. for, for being there you and you go down these spirals that you just assume that you have to hide it and you lie. And I still do it. Like I still, 
Well, it, it always takes me a couple days to even realize I'm depressed. Yeah. And so my default, you know, how you do in response just becomes, oh, I'm good. And I'm really not. And at some point, after a couple, two, three days of not being okay, I'll finally realize, oh, I'm depressed. And then it's shocking to me that it took me so long to see this in myself again. But um, yeah, I like this constant need to, even to people that know that I'm bipolar and people that have been through this with me before, I still instinctively say I'm okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, long, I, I'm a similar thing. How long does it, when you have your longer depressions, how long does it take you to realize you're depressed? Weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like mine's always about halfway through, which, you know, with my five days, that's a couple of days. And I, I'm never sure if it's because because I'm halfway through or because I have this two to three day uh, delay on realizing it. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think that the fact that yours, you know it better, like yours is more on. It's not on a cadence, but, you know, but it is like it, it like, is. And, well, what I mean by not on a cadence is that I mean, like, you don't have a scheduled thing like, all right, it's it's the third of the month. I'm <laughs> right. I'm having my manic episode. It's the 12th of the month. I'm having my depressive episode. Right. But but yeah, but it is a cadence where you know where things are going to fall, whereas with mine, I don't. Yeah. And it like it becomes like a, a medication thing. And it can take weeks. I mean, it can take months sometimes to really realize, especially if it's not like a major, major one. It um because for me anyway it's a gradual thing, and um what tends to happen is that I become like numb to it as it's happening. Yep. Yep. So I'm gonna change the topic now because we have a sponsor read to do, and for once, I'm not gonna lead into the sponsor after a really heavy topic. See, I appreciate that. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. But also, I just want to say, like, it's okay to not be okay. And yeah, it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And and the one the one piece of advice that I am qualified to give anyone going through something like this is talk to somebody. I don't care if you get a therapist, talk to somebody, Uh, tell somebody close to you what's going on. And I mean, whether you're just having a rough time or you're full on suicidal, just talk to somebody. It's it it changes everything. I'm I'm in total agreement. Talk to somebody and you're not alone. I think that would be the second thing I would say. Yeah. Like what you feel, we all kind of feel like, you know, I'm the only one who feels like this because it becomes this insular thing or no one cares. A, people care. B, you're not alone. And then the the most important thing, like you said, talk to somebody, and whether you, you want to go on medication or not, because that's up to you. That's OK. But go. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. But talk to somebody because that helps and it helps with that whole I'm not alone thing. And if you want to write a blog post that gets tens of thousands of views and then people will reach out to you and you don't even have to make the effort. Um. It's a so, really good blog post. So I'm really into uh, my keyboards lately. And yeah. I guess it's been going on for a while, but I spent years trying to love mechanical keyboards and uh, amassing quite the collection of fancy mechanical keyboards and never loving them until I got the ultimate hacking keyboard, 
which is a split, a two-piece ergonomic, completely programmable keyboard. And now I can't use any other keyboard. Uh, well, yeah. no, I can use other mechanical keyboards, but I've gotten so used to the mechanical keys, which mm -hmm. is perfect because like I've lost feeling in my right hand for my first two fingers and my thumb. I don't have feeling there or much feeling anyway. So finding the edge of low profile keys uh, without looking is is nearly impossible. But with mechanical keys, I can I can find that depression between them. No problem. So that's a big part of it. But also, I just really like the clackety clack. Yeah, I like it as well. So I got like a bunch of keys. I built one and then, well, okay, that's actually not true. I got like three quarters of the way through the process <laughs> and then I lost interest briefly and now I can't find <laughs> some of the things that I need to complete the keyboard. So I might have to start over. But uh, Sue's my former coworker. She works at... Uh, um, uh, stripe now she's amazing and she does live streams and stuff every week Suze is the best uh she is really into mechanical keyboards and we used to like work in the same kind of workspace together and i would share your blog posts actually with my colleagues that you've written about stuff because i was like no he's he's written all this stuff about his different tips and tricks and and different programmable things that you've done and whatnot uh but yeah no it's it's actually kind of been cool to see the rise of mechanical keyboards and not just to people who build their own, but yeah. also of like within gaming and within other stuff. Like there's so many high end mechanical keyboards you can buy now. It's unreal. Yeah. Um, WASD keyboards, which is basically uh, uh, a letter combination that only gamers would recognize. Um, if you don't know, those turn into arrow keys on a lot of keyboards. But yes. Um, do you have a, a favorite keycap manufacturer? No. Yeah. I whoever I ordered because I'm not that into it. Like wh <laughs> I ordered. Like I wish that I could be. Right now, I I only have time for like so many obsessions. Right. And keyboards is one that I know I could get like hardcore into. Um. I whatever they were some sort of I think they were some sort of cherry cap. I don't remember now, but I got the, whatever the the keys that that Sue's. Uh, and Ashley and I ordered were really, really good. I liked the the feel of those a lot. But no, I don't have a favorite keyboard uh, keycap manufacturer. Who is your favorite keycap manufacturer? I'm, I'm still searching around. Like I've ordered from a bunch of different places. The thing with the ultimate hacking keyboard is a lot of the modifier keys, the, the shift and the uh, lower right control key. And a lot of the keys, actually, most computers don't even have a lower right control. So that's a weird one. But they're they're different widths than you would get on a standard ANSI keycap set, right. um, and so I have to get custom width. I have to find blank keys at the right widths, and then have them custom printed if I want characters on them. So I spent like ninety dollars and three weeks of time putting together the current keycap set, and now I'm bored with it, and I want. I want to switch my keyboard from all black and gray and purple to white and mint, but I'm not, I don't, I, I need a keycap manufacturer that can handle my custom orders. Plus my caps lock key has to have a rocket on it for my hyper key. Um, it, and I have not found a, a, a one-stop shop that make, that makes everything I need. 
I think who I'd used before was was like a, a signature plastics, I think. Okay. Um, but yeah, uh listeners, let let Brett know who you're who he should look at for his keycap manufacturer because see what I wish that they would do would be and I bet I, I bet you can do this. It would just take a long time to get in, but like I wish that it were easier to order samples from some of these places, you know, <laughs> kind of like you can from, well, no, I mean, but, but it, it's not dissimilar to like, if you're getting something from, from a furniture company or for your chair or whatever, where they'll send you like a swatch of, yeah. of like what the fabric is like. Uh, Cause it's, it's not as if these are inexpensive things that, that people are doing, you know, you're spending $90, um, you know, for, for a set and, and it could go right. way, way up from there, depending on some of the other things. So I wish what, it were easier to get access to different samples to compare stuff. What before, I'm looking you know, for right now is uh, a keycap set that has the square base, but then the corner radius on the top is so high that it's almost a circle. Because I feel like I, I've seen these. Uh, I've seen them on like Mass Drop. Or which is just drop now. No, it's just drop. Yep. I've seen them and I haven't, they haven't come in a set. I would only be able to use 50% of a a set that they sent because of the custom needs. But if I could find keycaps like that, top printed with big letters, capitals, I I, I guess I have very specific needs. Uh, Pimp My Keyboard is the one place I would mention that has covered most of my custom printing needs. Um, so I, I, I would give a shout out to them. Uh, oh, and actually it's funny. Yeah. They actually are, a, a a subsidiary or whatever of signature plastics. Oh, well, there you go. Huh. So, All so right. That's actually funny. So, okay. So we actually both had good experience with the same place. Yeah. Um, what, what is your, what is your, uh, did you finish your custom build mechanical keyboard? No, it's like three quarters of the way done. And I think some of it is still in the office at Microsoft where I haven't been in months. Do you have a favorite pre-built mechanical you've used in your lifetime? I had like, I liked that. I liked the DOS keyboard. Which version did you have? I think it was like the DOS 2 or something. Did it have the wheel on it? It did not have the wheel. Yeah, mine doesn't either. I don't think I would actually use the wheel. I like the idea of it though. I like the idea of it, but yeah, no, I wouldn't actually use it. it it's weird, though, because I can still type on a non-mechanical without a problem. I don't have, uh, like, the issues uh, that, that prevent me from that. Um, and sometimes it's actually, like, more ideal for me not to have a mechanical in certain situations. But, no, I liked the DOS keyboard a lot. And honestly, like, what was, like, the Apple Extended 2? Yeah. That's a really great keyboard. It was. And I used to have an IBM like Series M or whatever. Yeah, old school. Um, I had one of those like for years and years and years. Um, but you know, obviously their their boots are hard to source now or whatever. But I had one of those like when I was in college that I uh you know like was super nerdy, but I I really really liked. Yeah. All right. I feel like we got to we got to a, a really nice place for doing a sponsor read. For sure. Good on us. So 
have you ever searched for something online that you wouldn't want others knowing about? That's the that's the lead into this ad read. I feel like you and I have talked before about it doesn't have to be porn. There are a lot of things you search for that maybe you don't want uh, every advertiser to start hitting you up with just because you search for it. Completely. I mean, honestly, like one of the my my biggest problems with Instagram ads is that they know how much I look at terrible things right on Instagram and then I see ads for it all over the place. I'm like, I don't want to see this. Like don't remind me of the of the awful things that are not porn related but are usually Kardashian related that I'm, you know, searching for. I That's... don't I don't need people to know like the the terrible things that I inexplicably care about. My dad built a cornhole game, and this is not pornographic, even though cornhole sounds pornographic. Uh, he built a. Do you know what cornhole is? That's like the game where, like, you toss bean something, bags. bean bags, into like holes or whatever. Yeah, essentially, that is the crux of the game. Yes. Um, and he built these, and and I got my my butt handed to me playing against the rest of the family. Of course, I was in the middle of a manic phase and hadn't slept for three days. And then was trying to, anyway, I went online and wanted to learn how to win at cornhole. And so my biggest fear now is that all of my ads are going to be cornhole related. And I really don't want that just as a, a lighthearted example. But so you're probably thinking, why don't you just use incognito mode? But incognito mode does not hide your activity. It does not matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you visited. And that's why, even when I'm at home, I never go online without using ExpressVPN. Um, It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Comcast or Spectrum or any ISP in the U.S. because they can all legally sell your information to ad companies. Um, And ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so those ISPs can't see the site you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize that I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background and super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV, so there's no excuse for you not to be using it. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit my, well, visit our, visit our exclusive link at expressvpn.com slash overtired, and you can get an extra three months free for a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash overtired uh, and visit that to learn more. And just like I will say as as a personal aside, I've been a paying ExpressVPN user and big fan and uh, very, very fast. Like there are some VPNs that uh, are slow, but especially, I mean, it helps that there is a node in my area, but you can, you know, get them in whatever you want. Extremely fast, extremely good stuff, extremely good shit. Good shit. I feel like that should be in the ad read. So let's talk about TV. Yeah. Coming out so of the, a depression, I've watched a lot of TV. I was going to say, that's that's <laughs> honestly the, the, the one kind of downside, I suppose, to coming out of depressions is that you have a, a less time for watching television. Because uh, I definitely think... 
in retrospect, maybe that's why I've watched so much TV. <laughs> I was a pretty depressed kid. Um, so the Emmys were last night as we record this, and which was weird, you know, to have the Emmys be the way that they they were. But um, I was very, very, very happy that Succession won Best Drama and uh, Shit's Creek um, uh, dominated yeah. for 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 Best Comedy. And uh, Shit's Creek is just a great show. But Succession is my favorite show, and uh, I was very, very excited that it that it won um, for for best drama. And uh, but you have not seen it, so Shit's Creek, okay. I'm all over. But yeah, I have not seen. I'm trying to write Shit's yeah. Creek in the show notes, and I can't remember how shit is spelled. It's S C H I T T. Ah, for some reason, I wanted to put a D in there. Schmidt. Schmidt has a D in it. Yeah, That's Schmidt so has, has a D, yeah. I live in a town with Polish names. Uh, Shabilski is common here, which is spelled P-R-Y-Z-Y-B-L. I don't even remember, but it, it's pronounced Shabilski. Anyway, Succession. Tell me about Succession. Should I be watching uh, it? You should definitely be watching. Um, so it, it sucks because the third season has been delayed because of all of this COVID stuff. But the first and second seasons are available. Um, um, they're on HBO if you are an HBO subscriber, but it's also, you know, available like you can, you know, buy it or, or, or whatever. It's fantastic. So it is basically the story. It's kind of the, the, this family. It's kind of um, uh, an amalgamation of the, the Redstone family and the Murdoch family and to a certain degree, the, I guess, kind of the Disney family. Um and basically it is it starts out with um you know there's this uh you know big media company um that is um uh, 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 the the Roy family and 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 they uh are the owners of something called like Waystar Royco which is like a a big like global media like empire but they also have like hotels and they have theme parks and they have a news channel and you know, as you can see, it is very much kind of in the the, the Paramount uh, kind of, uh, you know, Fox kind of um, mindset. And the um, the patriarch, uh, Logan Roy, is preparing to retire or so you think. And then he it's, it's like his his 80th birthday or something. He's like, all right, I'm going to step down and I'm finally going to pass things off to the his his second son, the his uh, um, his oldest son. Uh, doesn't really Alan Ruck really doesn't care about wanting to take over the business, and so the 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 second son is uh, Kendall is, is supposed to kind of take over, and then he kind of decides at the last minute. You know what? I I don't think you're ready. I'm I'm going to continue staying on, and then he has a stroke, like at like the birthday party, and that opens up all these questions about succession. And but it's really he ends up coming out of the stroke, but it really is this just great dysfunctional family where you're kind of encouraged to hate everyone and uh all the 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 kids you know who are all adult children are fighting with each other and are all trying to get one over on one another and like make alliances and sub alliances to get control over this company and to do the things that they want to do and it's just fantastic television it's just do do is it like game of thrones where you have reason to hate just about everybody but people kind of rise up as heroes now and then and then it shifts to other people. Yeah, kind of. Except I would say I would I would say it's less heroic and more like you 
you hate them all, but you're so impressed with how bad some of the people are. You're like, you want to root for them. That sounds exhausting. Uh, it's fantastic. I, I just don't know how to describe it. It's just it's a really, really, really good show. Uh, uh, Kieran Culkin is is in it, and he's fantastic. Uh, um, uh, the the girl who plays uh, Shiv, who is a uh, uh, Sarah Snook, she's really, really good. Like it's just it's a I, I it's um it's a really fantastic show, and it was like the first season is great. The second season was even better, and I was just very, very glad to to see it get nominated for for so many awards it won at the golden globes which was expected uh and then it didn't sweep the emmys the way that Shit's creek did i think Shit's creek like like set like a a record for um it's it's emmy wins which is richly deserved but uh yeah it's it's a uh, but it but it did win like best uh, lead actor for for the for the guy who um uh plays uh, kendall and um, it won, you know, I think like a best directing Oscar or something, but it, I think it got a best writing as well. So it was, it's a really, really great um, show. I'm a big fan. I think you should watch it. I think you would like it. It is sort of exhausting, but it's also fun. And I have to say like right now, uh, the only thing I would say about it, if you work in the media industry and you watch it, you will have PTSD because it was so clearly written and advised by people who actually work in the media industry hmm. that that it's it, like it captures the horror so perfectly that there's no way that like Frank Rich, it turns out, is an advisor of the show. It's like, oh, well, then that makes sense because only people who've actually been part of that hellscape would be able to accurately capture the hellscape sure. and the feelings uh, therein. But it it's a. Uh, a friend of mine she who who still works in media she was like why do people in media watch this this is so depressed you know, th th this is like <laughs> what we actually live and i'm like right but that's the fun of it like you never see your industry accurately reflected yeah <laughs> in in the horror that it is um accurately reflected so uh i'm a big fan that's awesome i uh i will definitely check it out even if it sounds exhausting. I, it is exhausting, but it's also fun. I don't know. I just, I, it's kind of like billions to me. I kind of, you know, it's not as much fun as billions, but it's, it's just, I don't know. It's my favorite show. I no longer have HBO, but I will find, I will find access to it one way or another. You'll find access to it. And legally, of uh, course, of course, of course. Um, and uh, stay tuned on that. I will check and see if, if you can perhaps <laughs> access things. If, if, uh, as, I did, as one of I did get the members. invite from your Microsoft friend. Or from your yeah. friend. I assumed it was Microsoft friend. Um, uh, it's, it was not actually. But, not. Uh, but Okay, but, leave um, Microsoft out of this whole thing. I'm sorry. Completely, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. So so and his uh, actually he might even have it on his Plex because he has a lot of stuff. That's not legal. I'm gonna I'm gonna go pay good money for it. That's fair. That's fair. Wink, wink. Wink, oh, wink. Nudge, nudge. I, Absolutely. I ruined it. Um, I wanna. I, I I have some other TV that I'm gonna save for our next conversation because we're getting close to an hour, and I want to talk about audiobooks. Yeah. Are you had mentioned that you fell asleep listening to an audiobook and my first question was going to be do you listen to audiobooks so that's been answered for me but uh but huge what, audiobook fan what kind of books do you listen to everything um so 
I read a lot of various things and I really love to listen as well. And sometimes it's easier for me to listen than not. But I mean, true crime uh, books about like business history, uh, business true crime are, is, is always good. I listen to mostly nonfiction. I don't really read a lot of fiction, hmm. uh, although I, I, you know, if there's a good fiction book, um, I'm, I'm all about it. Um, but but I really like nonfiction. Um, yeah, I mean, basically. I, I listen to I'm trying to think I'm, I'm opening up my audible account right now to go through my library to see what my most recent things have been. So I was listening to this book about there's this girl in Canada who killed her. She tried to kill both of her parents or, or she hired a hit on them, I should say. And her dad ended up surviving and was able to kind of um, get her um, kind of in trouble for what she was doing. And so this was called A Daughter's Deadly Deception, the Jennifer Pan story. And that's what I was listening to. But I also have recent things I've listened to. Some of them actually have been fiction. So uh, the the Jaws book, because <laughs> that is like a, a free thing now. Like Audible now has a new thing where in addition to getting your, you know, um, book credit a month or whatever, like they have a certain amount of, of like free content like if books you, you don't have to pay if for anymore. You're, if you're at this, I think, gold level, you get a ton of free content now. If you're at the, the, the lower levels, you actually get less content. They're cutting down how much you have access to, which is weird. They're just, they're increasing the class divide. Interesting, because I guess I pay like the $15 a month or yeah, whatever that's for like about the one the level credit. I'm on, I think. And so, and so I now get all this additional content. Like I got like, mm. Uh, you know, a, a good uh, recording of um, Brave New World from Aldous Huxley, yeah. one of my favorite books, and and 1984 and Animal Farm. Uh, How so timely. those were ones that, I, yeah, exactly. Those were ones that I've listened to recently. Uh, other other stuff that I've uh, listened to recently: um, Super Mario, How Nintendo Conquered America. Um, there's a John Wayne Gacy book from one of his lawyers. Um, let's see. Oh, the Michael Cohen memoir. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yeah. So, actually, I'm looking through this now. There's a whole bunch of of uh, of true crime. And then there are things like uh, uh, my friend Brian McCullough uh, wrote a book, "How the Internet Happened," and I actually bought the the Kindle book, but now the audiobook is part of the the free thing yeah. if you're on that that fifteen dollar tier or whatever. So, yeah. I uh, I got, I got into a. I, I don't want to call it a rut because I'm really enjoying it. Like, I don't want it to end. But I got into black female sci-fi authors, which is a, a genre that I would not have assumed existed. But it's really good. Ranging okay. from, like, starting with Octavia Butler, who's died recently. Well, relatively recently. But started writing, I think, in the 60s. Um, and then I got into N.K. Jemison, who did the Broken Earth trilogy. And now for like my sixth book in a row of black female sci-fi authors, I just started uh, Nettie Okorafor, who did a series of novellas called Binti, B-I-N-T-I. And uh, I think it's Hulu, but someone is turning them into a show. Awesome. That I'm or a, a movie, a show. I'm not sure yet. Um, oh, it's HBO. Oh, hell yeah. No, HBO is developing Who Fears Death. Anyway, anyway, she has a huge, huge library and her sci-fi is, it's amazing. I love it. Like right now it's following uh, 
a young black earth female uh, from like a tribal society as she goes to the best university in the galaxy and in the process um, becomes an ambassador for an alien race that is warring against the humans and and brokers the peace between them it's 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 fun stuff it's really fun that's awesome okay um i might i'm not a huge sci-fi person but i might have to check some of that stuff out that sounds pretty good how can you how can you be with grant and not be a huge sci-fi person i don't know because we have different interests (laughs) we're different people (laughs) (laughs) you have different interests um oh actually this is a good one though was um the office the the untold story of the greatest that come with the 2000s an oral history and it's actually done by like the full cast of the show. Okay. So it's the oral history of the office, but the cast actually participates. Wow. All right. So that's pretty fun. I get weirded out by by audiobooks that have like a full cast. Uh when they do readings and every character has a different person reading it. It I don't know. It's hard to fall asleep to is I think what it is. I tend to that's listen true. as that's I true. fall Although, asleep. Yeah, no, I, I do the same thing. And that that's a good point. But I feel like in this case, like I actually want the cast of the office sure. reading the things that they're saying. So yeah, like, that. you know, when they're talking, like, I, because it's weird when you have a sound alike doing it, you know what I mean? Like if, 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 you know, if Rain Wilson is supposed to be talking, I don't want someone who's been hired to sound like Rain Wilson. I want to actually <laughs> hear Rain Wilson. Yeah, for sure. But For yeah, sure. w- when you fall asleep to audiobooks, that I have like they tend to give me really weird dreams. What about you? Um, yeah, especially when I'm reading about uh bizarre alien life forms and intergalactic wars and it does if it's a compelling story, uh then yeah, my dreams definitely get wrapped up in that. I bet it's even worse for true crime. Completely, completely. And the thing is is that I've like for many, many, many years, watched a lot of Discovery ID and fallen asleep to like true crime TV shows and certainly have had weird dreams that way. But it's not the same as it, when you're listening to one narrator kind of talk about the story and you got you, you get kind of sucked into it and your dreams start to become part of like what some of the content that, that you're listening to is. It's it's a uh, but but yet not the same. It's weird. Like, um oh, one of one of the one of the best audiobooks that. Um, I've heard is and one of the best books that, that I've read in the last couple of years is a book called American Kingpin that Nick Bolton wrote. And it's about the Silk Road um, story and sure. Ross Ulbricht, the, 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 the guy who did that. It's actually an amazing story on a lot of levels. And it's incredibly um, uh, the, the reader, the guy who did the, the audiobook is really good. I think it was the same person who he either did the audiobook for Bad Blood, which is the Theranos story, or uh, Super Pumped, the, the Uber book. But the, the reader is really, really good. But that's one of those stories where it kind of takes you um, from the different perspectives, like of, of the, the cops and the FBI who are tracking Ross and then Ross's story um, himself, as well as sometimes the perspectives of people in his life. And that one was was another one where I like had really weird dreams um, because of it. Yeah. So yeah. That's always a weird thing. Yeah. So like last night I was like listening to this book about, you know, this this girl who 
and in her defense of like why she hired to like have her parents killed or she claimed actually that she would hire people to come in and kill her and then she backed out and then they decided to kill her parents as penance i'm not you know it makes no (laughs) sense because that's not really what happened right she clearly hired a hit on her parents and then got caught but her whole defense so to speak was like they were like tiger parents who were like very controlling and like like wouldn't let her leave the house and wouldn't let her date anybody and she was like 26 years old so like this was the situation where it's like "Mm, you're you're pretty old to to still be like living at home and under their thumb and i'll agree that's a little weird but also maybe just move out maybe just (laughs) there uh, are other options there are other options right (laughs) she'd also like it turned out she'd like faked her whole life like she told them that she got into like a good college turns out she didn't even graduate from high school she'd forced all her grades she like created fake like college acceptance letters and then like a fake internships and stuff and like they thought that she was going to college and that then she had like this job and really she's like a waitress and living with her drug dealer boyfriend (laughs) um anyway but so i had i had weird dreams last night anything you want to share about your weird nothing nothing that i can really remember to be totally honest (laughs) except there were just aspects of it where i was like okay this is this is bizarre like you know, I'm like, I'm kind of like waking up at certain points and I'm like realizing, oh yeah, the audiobook is still playing. <laughs> Usually what I do is I try to like set the audiobook to stop playing at a certain Sleep point. Sleep timer, yeah. Exactly. So that I don't have those weird dreams, but then sometimes it just happens anyway. What I will point out before we go into our, our final, like final topic is that if you are a fan of audiobooks, but you want to hear like long form magazine articles um, and or, or newspaper things read by the same class of narrator there's a fantastic app uh called autumn a-u-d-m and it is it's like seven dollars a month or something so uh, but they have a free trial so you can you know figure out it would be something you would want to pay for but they read they, they work with like the the new york times actually recently bought them but um i've been a subscriber for a couple of years now and they uh work with um like places like the atlantic and the new yorker and wired and vanity fair and propublica and rolling stone and like buzzfeed and the new york times and new york times magazine and they do um like they read the long form you know newspaper magazine articles but they have professional readers who do them so it's a really good way of catching up on like for me anyway somebody who loves magazines but can't always focus on reading all the articles that i want uh, this is like a really awesome uh, way to catch up on a lot of those things because some of the New Yorker pieces will be like over an hour long read. And um, yeah. it's actually re- it's actually replaced podcasts for me to a certain extent. I would I would rather listen in some cases to like magazine articles. Sure. Written so. by written by reputable authors. And yeah, I get that. So. Um, good tip. Autumn. Yeah. Um, do we want to, do, do we want to touch on RBG? We don't have to get super deep into it, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it's worth the mention, even if we go a little long. Yeah. So as of the publication of this, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, I think it was Sunday. It was Friday. That, it was Friday. Oh man. It was, Friday. It was yeah. a blur of a weekend then. It was. Um, yeah. Uh, which is a huge blow right now, mostly because Trump's still in office and that gives him uh, a Supreme Court nomination. But also she was 
She was probably the most, uh, the judge who through her career before and after becoming a judge had some of the biggest impacts on, on civil rights and equality for women. Mm-hmm. And it, it's, it's quite the loss. Do you have, uh, do you have anything you want to say about that? Yeah, no, I mean, I like a lot of people, I've been a big fan of hers. And, you know, she's had a moment probably in the last five years or so where her popularity has really soared. And people, I think, uh, in in the broader populace have cared more about Supreme Court opinions and have, you know, read them more. But I'm the I'm the nerd who, you know, I thought I was going to go to law school and I obviously didn't. But I remember when John Roberts when his confirmation hearings were taking place. And this was after the Harriet Meyer, um, like a, a scandal. Do you remember, do you remember Harriet Meyer? No, I don't. Okay. So, so George W. Bush decided to um, nominate for Sandra Day O'Connor's seat. This, uh, this woman, Harriet Meyer, who never served as a judge was barely a lawyer to be totally honest. Like she mostly was like the manager of the law firm that she worked at. And uh, she was actually on his council, but like she was ridiculously unqualified for the court, like the most unqualified nominee ever to the point that when they took her in for like the conversations that you have, like the private off the record conversations before the hearings, all the people who were in them were like, and these were Republicans were like telling people, you're going to have to redo this because you don't actually know anything enough about like uh, federal law and appellate law and, you know, constitutional law. Like you don't actually, your answers to these questions were completely unsatisfactory and were, are not okay. And they were able to kind of work out a way that she was able to withdraw herself from the nomination process because something that they were asking of her was like, you know, unacceptable. And so they were able to give her a way to save face and and withdraw the nomination. But it was like a huge embarrassment. And it was doubly embarrassing because you have people like, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who is so immensely qualified. Uh, And and then, you know, George W. Bush wanted to put this like Sunday school teacher in as a Supreme Court justice, like genuinely like and, and not to not to not to claim that Sunday school teachers there aren't some that would be qualified as Supreme Court justices, but uh, it, it it was a little bit insulting to like look at, um, you know, someone like like uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was the uh, only who was at that point because with Sandra Day O'Connor stepping down was was at that point then the only woman on the court. It's pretty insulting. And so C-SPAN during that that brouhaha, that was actually how Roberts wound up being um, appointed to, to the court. And and then um, Scalia died. And um, he was made chief justice. But in that whole run up, I'll never forget this because I missed school. Like I missed college classes. They reran RBG's confirmation hearings, which I'd never seen because I was like nine when um, it happened. And um, her confirmation hearings were just incredible. And I remember just like watching this was like 15 years ago. And I remember just like watching and being like, this is unbelievable how smart she was and how qualified she was and how she was so good with the different senators answering their questions and and also kind of maddening them at certain times because she would you know not answer certain things the way that they wanted uh you know she would find her way around it and the way she was even able to charm um you know Strom Thurmond like a man who 
was probably opposed to her very existence as both a person and a woman, you know, and he voted yay on her. I think Jesse Helms and there were was one other person who voted nay. But I, I don't know. That's just always what I remember. It was just her confirmation hearings and watching those and just being so impressed by her like intelligence and wit and uh, just her manner of, of speaking and explaining things. You, you could tell that she was a teacher. You could tell she was a professor because she was she would use her time to do that. But also just, you know, she was um, famously not allowed to be a clerk in the Supreme Court. She was one of her professors at Harvard wanted her to suggested her for clerkship. And the Supreme Court justice said, I'm sure she's really great, but I'm just not ready to have to hire a woman. Yeah. So she was rejected from that. And she then wound up arguing in front of the Supreme Court six times, and she won five of her cases. And this was all on like equal rights stuff six times. So, and, and that was basically within a decade of her not being allowed to be a clerk. She's then fight, you know, she's then arguing in front of that court, you know, six times, and then you know was was obviously elected, uh, or you know, justice and not elected, but but appointed justice and, uh. I don't know. It's it, it, she's it's an incredible story. Yeah. She's an incredible person, and it's an incredible loss for so many reasons. But I think uh, most acutely because of the fear that it puts into us right now. But yeah. I think for me, beyond that, just for what she stood for as a woman and as a jurist and just as a person, she's just incredible. The the one thing that is frustrating to me. I mean, so she, as a general rule, was pretty conservative. Uh, for as much as she led uh, progressive aspects of like women's yes. rights, uh, she tended to vote conservative. Um, what frustrates me right now is that Obama had asked her to step down while he was president. He had asked her to retire so they could install a newer, younger uh, right. uh, a justice with a little more longevity. And she had, I mean, her dying wish was that she not be replaced until there was a new president. She didn't say until after the election. She said until there was a new president. Like, it was very much a dig on Trump. Um, But she had the opportunity four years ago. Well, no, she didn't. She didn't, though. She didn't. She didn't. Because if you recall, when, um, you know, when, when Garland was not allowed to be yeah. submitted as a nominee that was in february right yeah. so the so only way really so, six so, years so, ago she could have maybe but, maybe that would well, but with, but that's, with mcconnell but in ago, there even then they would have found a way well i mean that's the thing i think it's easy for people to criticize her oh she should have stepped down but it's like okay if february of 2016 wasn't enough time right so what are, what are we saying now that would have to be like november of 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 2015 like when when could she have stepped down like when could he have requested that right and and i honestly think that if you're saying like in 2014 i don't think that most people would have anticipated that if something had happened in early 2016 that the president would not be allowed to put forward a nominee yeah you know but mcconnell created whole new rules and and lindsey graham who was like oh well you know if something happens the last year of the election then obviously that won't happen now <laughs> he's like well with kavanaugh the rules changed right like they'll just create whatever rules they want to to let oh, things totally. happen like so i mean i think it's a fair thing to criticize her for but i also feel like it's an unfair thing because if, if they weren't allowed to you know put in like garland wasn't even put up to the Senate. Like right. he, he wasn't even, even allowed to go to through vote. he wasn't even allowed to come to a vote. He wasn't even allowed to go through the process. Right. So if that's the case, like 
it would be it would have been detrimental for her to to say that she was going to 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 step down like yeah, that's fair i don't know i i also feel like i i will say i don't think she was a conservative judge because she did mostly vote with the left what she was is she was conservative about ruling from the court which is a very different thing she was conservative about like the sense of you know the job of the judiciary is to enforce the laws not to make laws and that is a very different school of thought and so that's something that some progressives understandably don't like but i think that from a constitutional level that's not really a progressive or conservative statement that's just a how how do you view law and the way that she viewed law and i i was rewatching her confirmation hearings on friday and i was reminded of this because there were people who were asking her questions about some of her statements about Roe v. Wade and and she was never criticizing Roe v. Wade. And some people try to bring that up. It's like, no, what she had criticized was perhaps that particular case, which was about doctors' rights and not about women's rights. It really was about the doctor and 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 what their rights were. It was not really about women's rights. And that's been accurate. That by the court using that case to make abortion legal everywhere, it gave the right a, a massive target to attack to try to take those rights away. Whereas if some of the other abortion rights cases had been used and if there'd been more decisions rather than kind of this one, then her view was, and, and, you know, people, reasonable people can disagree on this, but her view was that would be why people like it would have been less of a target and there would be less of less fear about you know, women's rights to choose being taken away. And and I, I think that that, I don't know, I find that argument compelling. I don't necessarily agree with it completely, but I at least find that compelling. So, you know, she was actually pretty progressive, I think, in most of her votes on the court. It's just she didn't believe in the the judiciary legislating from the bench, which, I mean, in fairness, is something that from the Constitution is not supposed to happen. Like, but we have separation of powers for a reason, in theory. You make good points. I accept. Sorry, that. Uh, sorry, no, I'm sorry. I'm just. I'm. I'm. I'm slight wonk on this stuff. Although, like, actual <laughs> lawyers, actual lawyers can correct me and uh, <laughs> tell me all the ways that I'm wrong because I'm open to that too. But that will not yeah. be me. I am. Uh, I'm an observer. I do not know what I'm talking about. I rarely know what I'm talking about. That's not true. You know a lot about keyboards and you know a lot about uh, programming and uh, TV. Yes. Um, anyway. And mental health. I, 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 do, I do know a lot about my mental health. I am not qualified to make any psychiatric statements about anyone else. But that said. It, 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 except that it, everybody is probably ADHD, right? No. No. <laughs> No, no, I, I know lots of normal people. No, I know, I know, I know. I'm, I'm just, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Funny. All right. Well, that brings us to well over our our projected hour. It's been, uh, it's been quite the ride, Christina. It has been quite the ride. Um, and I'm feeling less tired now, which is a good thing. That is good. I'm We're... glad. I'm glad overtired woke you up. Same. Same. And um, I uh, I look forward to your to your next blog post and um, hope that you know continue to feel better and uh, whatnot and thanks for being so open about all your stuff. Yeah. So after ignite, get some sleep. 
I, I will. I will be sleeping like hardcore. Like this whole weekend, I'm basically going to be asleep. All right. <laughs> Bye, Brett. The system is going down low.